Considering that so many Virginia families have left public schools due to everything from sexual propaganda, mask mandates, COVID lockdowns, you name it, why are state leaders now trying to cut education scholarships for low-income kids? We're going to talk about this and more today. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, and I'm joined today by our president, Victoria Cobb. Before we get started here, I just got to say these ongoing dramas that my husband and I are having with these little critters getting into our house is continuing because the other day we're just quietly sitting on our couch after a nice dinner and my husband sees this thing come out of the um, part between the metal grate on the fireplace and the brick and, it, and it's it's a mouse and it's just splayed against it the wall because when it saw my husband it tried to flatten itself <laughs> i didn't know they did and that that's yeah, interesting interesting <laughs> um i yeah critters are no fun i would definitely not be real thrilled so what did he do about it that's the important thing i mean well, is it, it gone now it went back quickly and then we were kind of panicking was it a bat was it a mouse what was it <laughs> so we put a trap out and it's definitely a mouse so now the question is is it more than one or two mice? I think you're actually lucky because bats are way worse. So, yeah. you know, you bring up was it a bat? We had a we had a coworker or somebody on our team that got bats in his house, and that is a horrific, horrific scary thing. So, you know, I mean, a mouse as long as it doesn't die and you don't get the smell and you get it out of there and there's only one. You yeah, know, that's the important part that there's just one all by himself. I I will admit we did there was another one. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. So I asked my husband, Michael, I asked him, what. Um, so was the mouse alive? And he, he said, don't ask questions. Like, <laughs> That's actually probably better. He is wise to just let you not know what's going on. But just think of all the cute movies that have been made by about little mice. I mean, the, like every animated movie has a little mouse family. And so you just have to think yeah. of it as like you name them and – you know, allow them, invite them in your yeah. home, and they'll be little, you know, you just have to look at it in a happy way. Okay. I mean, they sing in, like, Snow White, don't they? Have, don't they have, no, no. Actually, Cinderella, Cinderella. Somebody has mice singing. Yes, in one of those. it's Cinderella. There you go. Or is it Snow White? But anyway, uh, I, think it's Cinder- I think it's Cinderella because yeah. I never watched that no, one. Snow White is birds. Okay, okay. yeah, yeah, right, right, you're right. So now that you say that, I am a little concerned about my husband because he actually made the comment because the mouse was still kind of alive when he went down and found it in the trap. And so he tells me later, you know, I looked at this mouse and I thought, well, he's a good little nice, cute mouse and we could actually be friends if he wasn't in my house. Okay, I, d- <laughs> I have to tell you the funniest mouse story. So my aunt and uncle live up in very rural Connecticut and my aunt is an animal lover and she just can't harm an animal. And so they will get mice in their home and she will capture them in a there's a name a heart alive or something okay. trap and she will take them out drive them out to the woods well wow. she started to think the same mouse kept coming back and she actually painted with fingernail polish a mouse to see if it was the same one coming was back. It? Was <laughs> it? Is, um, she said it came back once and then never again. <laughs> so she wasn't wrong, but that's insane. I mean, I love my yeah. uncle, but I don't love no, mice I, enough. I started to get worried that he might do something crazy, like actually pet it. And I'm like, don't touch that mouse because that nice little mouse might no, have rabies. Talk about the germs. I know. Sorry. Yeah, we just got thing. gross. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. No thanks. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Well, getting into today's topic controversial issues in the state budget. Not really much better than the mice, but anyway. Um, But, you know, actually, first, I think it'd be interesting for people to know about one of the bills the governor recently signed. Let's let's tackle that real quick. That is 
this law that seeks to limit the outrageous kind of overreach we saw happening during COVID. Tell us about that, Victoria. Yeah, I think this is actually one of the most important bills of the entire session because of what we saw during the pandemic, where it was like executive order after executive order. People had no idea when there was going to be a new one and how long it was going to last. And so what this does is it simply says if there is an executive order, it can't go over 45 days without the legislature weighing in. The people elect the legislature and they ought to come in. They're supposed to make sort of permanent policies. And, you know, executive orders started feeling rather permanent. So this is a big deal, actually. And maybe maybe for the future. I mean, I hope we don't even see an era like that again. Mm-hmm. But but we need to be protected from that. Considering the churches we, we saw being shut down under orders like that. Yeah, I agree. It's important. Um, but diving right into the budget part. First of all, I got to say, normally when I hear that we're going to talk about something like the state budget, my eyes kind of start glazing over, my brain turns to mesh because it sounds pretty boring. But this year, it seems like we've got all these hot button topics packed into this budget. I mean, we're dealing with everything from abortion to gambling to marijuana, um, which we are going to get into all that. But first, I want to talk about, Victoria, why are we seeing these efforts to cut education scholarships for low income kids? What in the world is going on? All right. Well, I have to start by saying the budget is not boring because it contains every possible issue and it's just where we let government spend their money. And so it's like it shows the real who's behind the scenes and what they really want to do to Virginia. So I actually money. uh, Yes, I think the budget is actually rather exciting. Not literally reading it. Don't read it. But (laughs) but nevertheless. okay. so this is the not exciting part of the budget, which is the upsetting parts of the budget, which is that this year, They took the really important school choice tax credit program that we have. So what this does is it allows people to donate to scholarships. They get a tax credit and these scholarships go to kids who are low income to be able to go to a school that is in a different you know, area or is a private school that just fits their needs better. And we have like 5,000 kids taking this scholarship. And the important part is it's a pretty new scholarship. It's only been around a few years. And every year, the number of kids that are taking that scholarship almost doubles. It just keeps growing and growing and growing because people find out about it. Donors find out and give more money. Well, there's a $25 million cap on it that exists so that the state has to control how big this gets. Mm -hmm. And we're using about 12, 13 million of it And they just cut the other half, which means Mm. we're not even 100 percent sure if they didn't cut existing. Like how how exactly where are we on how many scholarships we use? But they absolutely left no ability for new kids to get this scholarship because they're not going to allow the tax credits for donations. Yeah. And you're talking about here helping impoverished kids not be trapped in a school that's failing them just because that's the one in their zip code. We are empowering kids to be able to attend schools that meet their needs. That's what's at stake here. And the shocker is in this moment where we just got a report from the governor on how poorly our public schools are doing on reading, writing, math. And then you have all these parents are upset about the sexual propaganda. I mean, this is not the moment. This is the moment to be increasing school choice. And this is the only real school choice Virginia has. We're actually one of the worst in the country. So this program is really, really important. Yeah, and I actually start to get really mad when I think about, here we are seeing these gas prices rising to upwards of $6 per gallon or maybe even more by the time the summer's over. I don't know. Um, And you have the liberals blocking a a gas tax cut. And instead, where do they choose to cut? Scholarships that are helping disadvantaged kids. What is going on? I I can't believe politically they even attempt this, but I think they think it's small enough there won't be enough outrage. Mm. And so we just have to remind them, show them the faces and names of these kids because... 
I mean, my goodness, these kids are thriving if you hear their stories. Mm -hmm. Is there a way our listeners can help out on this? Yeah, I mean, we really want folks to weigh in, to call the governor. You can call or email. He's got a website. It's real easy, but it's really important to just shoot an email that says, look, this is really important because the governor has the ability now to still make changes to the budget. And so that's where this process sits. And I think he believes in school choice. So he just needs to know that this is important. What's the window of time on that? Uh, it's very quick. Like this needs to happen in the next week. Okay. Thanks for joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. If you're enjoying the show, help us encourage others to speak up by giving us a five-star review and sharing it with friends. Thanks for listening. All right, well, let's get into some other parts of this budget. What is going on with the taxpayer-funded abortion part of it this year? Yeah, we're really disappointed that the House and Senate budget this year does not include the cut that we wanted to see of money that goes to the abortion industry and especially the taxpayer funding that actually goes for actual abortions. But we are hoping that the governor will weigh in and actually include that in his recommended changes. Okay, something to pray for and maybe also contact the governor about. Also, it looks like Another step we could be taking in the right direction, albeit small, is cracking down more on the marijuana industry. Tell us what's going on with that. Yeah, the the budget that the House and the Senate sent us actually start to turn around the direction of the drug culture in Virginia. You know, the General Assembly last year really opened wide this idea that we're going to have pretty much legal marijuana in some ways and commercialize it. And the budget actually starts to take it in the other direction. So what they've done is they've actually created new misdemeanors for possession of more than four ounces of marijuana. So that's helpful. And it also did some good things on strictly labeling around hemp issues. So making sure we know what's what. And also, and this is the really the most important part, is edibles, because that's really what affects kids. And so what they did is they made sure that you can't have an edible under the age of 21, and you can't put edibles in child-friendly kinds of places. So that's at least a slight step back to where we should be as a commonwealth. Is that going to help at all with these edibles getting in schools where kids bring brownies and nobody even knows that they're laced? I think our position would be you just can't go down this road or you're going to have those things happen. But since the General Assembly went down the road, at least we're maybe minimizing that situation. Taking some incremental steps back the other direction. Yes, let's just hope there's more steps to follow. Right. I also want to address this issue with casinos. It seems like this is almost like a zombie issue. You think it's dead. And then here it comes again. Because there was this huge victory with voters in Richmond actually saying no, not in my backyard, and voting down a casino, which nobody expected. It kind of stunned the gambling industry. But now we've got people trying to force another vote on it because they didn't like the outcome that they got the first time around. This is the really frustrating part. I think the people have spoken, and yet, unfortunately, the law is allowing another vote. And so what's good about the budget is it kind of slows it down a little bit. So basically, there are people who want a casino in Petersburg, not Richmond. So we're kind of, unfortunately, it's not really a battle of those of us that don't want the casino versus those that do. It's sort of where we're going to have it. But I'll say this. In order to have one in Petersburg, they have to study it. And it would they know it would be harmful for the region to have two. And so at least this budget might have bought us one year reprieve to have to fight blocking one either in Petersburg or in Richmond. <laughs> in other words, there's division in the camp and it, it's helping. So. Well, there's a lot of money at stake. So everybody wants it for their region. 
Well, we've kind of covered all the concerning things in the budget, but I guess there has been some good news in addition to a bit of a crackdown on the marijuana industry. We saw some tax relief for families, right? Yeah, we did see a little bit. Um, the first thing they did that I think everybody's been eyes on is that they actually reduced the grocery tax by one and a half percent. Now, what's unfrustrating or unfortunate about this is that they delayed the impact of that until January 1. So while Aww. we're all buying really expensive groceries all summer long, and by the way, our Thanksgiving meals and our Christmas meals, um, we will be paying more tax Aww. because... So disappointed. Yes. And it feels like it was a political game that, you know, the Democrats felt like they won by stalling because they said, we want no tax changes until January 1. But mm. interestingly enough, they uh, <laughs> they made pet medication tax exempt starting July 1. So clearly they weren't wedded to that to the nth degree. You know, they were willing to flex on some things. But anyway, mm. all that to say, a little frustrating. But they did also um, head towards doubling the standard deduction. That's been the goal of, um, you know, helping tax relief. And they got about 78% increase of standard deduction um tax relief. So that's helpful for a lot of folks. Um, but again, we're, you mentioned we were looking for some gas relief, gas yeah. tax relief. We were looking for grocery impact immediately. So yeah. there's, I feel like with $17 billion of excess money this year that came into the state, they could have done a bit more. Hmm. Pets versus children that need groceries. What's priority? It just, it kind of says something. You just wonder who put that in. <laughs> Well, it's that time again. Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! Well, we haven't done an inconceivable in a while, so I'm actually really looking forward to this today. But fair warning, today's topic is not for the faint of heart or those with a queasy stomach. Apparently, environmentalists, otherwise known as climate change activists, have come up with a brand new way for us all to save the planet. And it's for all of us to eat bugs. <laughs> yeah, the idea is that our consumption of animal protein is escalating greenhouse gases. So now we're encouraging the use of other proteins. Some are reasonable, like beans and tofu. We can get into all that. But then there's these others, like mealworms. Like, I'm not kidding. So IKEA's test kitchen has been coming out with these supposedly chic new uh, delicacies, including meatballs made of mealworms called meatballs. <laughs> not so neat. They also came out with bug burgers. But this is a whole new woke trend, apparently, that's been going on for even the last couple of years. I mean, I've seen cricket-infused protein bars. And then you had the New York Times running a headline that said something like praising the joy of cooking insects. Nothing like picking up a worm ball with your new <laughs> Ikea furniture or whatever. But in all seriousness, it gets a little concerning when they start pushing more woke experimentation on our kids. Because now they're saying that children in the UK could soon be fed insects as part of their school lunches. And of course, if they're doing it, it probably won't be long until it comes over to the United States. Yeah, we got to start with the schools to mainstream these woke ideas. Um, but I really appreciated what Daily Wire host Michael Knowles said on this. It really stood out to me, his point. Um, he was saying, OK, well, if, if they can get away with forcing us to wear masks and take all kinds of vaccines, well, it's not really that far of a reach to force us to eat bugs. Let's just listen to what he had to say on that. The ruling class really, really wants us to eat bugs. They they really want it. This has become a meme. People will say, I will not live in the pod. 
I will not eat the bugs. I will not consume. And, and the ruling class keeps trying to force us to do it. They don't want us to live in nice big houses. They don't want us to go to work and to our community and to our church and to stores. They want us to live in a tiny little pod in a metropolitan area, and they want us to eat bugs. From Bloomberg, why bugs must have a bigger part of the human food chain. They're fine for snacking, but insect protein, (laughs) I like how they just assume that part. Yeah, sure, they're fine for snacking, but we need to do more of that. So I think there's actually a lot of truth in his commentary here because, okay, think about it. We saw how the COVID emergency was conveniently used to shut down churches, schools, and all kinds of things. And if they can now put climate change in that emergency category, oh, think of the places we could go. Bugs could just be the beginning. Well, honestly, it's all clicking together for me now because just this week, the Biden administration actually opened up an environmental justice section under health and human resources. I couldn't figure out what the connection is, but I think we're starting to see it when we talk about this. And I'm very, very disturbed. But no, think about if they can do this. I mean, they're already pushing us on electric cars. They're already pushing us, you know, no, no gas pipelines. And we know businesses are jumping through all kinds of hoops to meet these environmental standards. You know, but eating bugs is probably, I mean, that may be one of the easiest things they force on us. I guess. (laughs) Okay, here's the million dollar question. Victoria and Catherine, would you do it? Will you eat the bugs? Think I'll stick with my sour gummy worms. Um, yeah, n- no, I don't think I, I. I mean, if I'm starving, but again, you know, Noel's actually made this point. He goes, "This is civilization. We're actually supposed to be civilized. <laughs> like, why are we going backwards?" Yeah, so yeah, regressive. I kind of feel like I have real food. So no. Well, I actually did try eating a cricket uh, when I went to Uganda when I was working for Focus on the Family. I was I was doing a story as a reporter there, and in the marketplace they had a big skillet where they were roasting or frying crickets. And I actually tried one. It, you know, I don't remember how it tastes because I just, you can't get past the fact that you're, it's crunchy and it's a cricket. But you were in Uganda. I mean, no offense, but we're in America. You have a burger you can choose from. Catherine, I hear a little rumor that your husband is actually on the wrong side with this. Yeah, yeah. He is pro-bug food. Uh He's he's like they're an efficient use of space. They're nutritious. Space. You can fit a lot of b- bugs in a small place, and a cow needs acres and acres. <laughs> <laughs> what he he crunches it all in that to a shake or something? Or I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> uh, he he would do that. I could see him doing that. But to my knowledge, he, the only bug protein he's ever consumed was I think for Christmas a couple years in his stocking. His parents gave him like a bug protein protein bar, uh, granola bar. Uh, uh, I did not partake in that, but he, I believe he did try it. And I think he finished <laughs> it. Well, what are some of these other arguments he threw at you for why you should be pro-insect-based food? He said that lobsters are bugs of the sea and shrimp are bugs of the sea. He also said it's no different than eating bug based food like honey which is basically bee throw up you know um, <laughs> i will never look at honey again the same well, way good luck because that's all- <laughs> honey is supposed to be the healthy alternative to sugar you guys and now you've just killed it for me <laughs> well you could still have some of our honey when we get it and you'll get over it <laughs> yeah everybody Catherine actually has bees in her backyard that they are raising right yeah, yeah. so i guess you're kind of down the insect based food path so i guess i guess 
Well, I guess that means it's time to give this week's inconceivable award to the elitist climate change activists who are proposing to let them eat bugs instead of, like, you know, Marie Antoinette's cake. (laughs) Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together. Thank you.